It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. Romance and love addiction is a very real thing. You may find yourself constantly in search of the next love high. Can you relate to that? Even as the previous one ends. Do you fear being alone, distraught at the idea of being single as you age? Are you jumping into the new one right on the heels of the last breakup? These might give you a hint that you could have an addiction problem. Today's special guest, Sherry Gaba, has a very personal reason for specializing in this area. She was a romance and love addict for most of the first 40 years of her life. She was married four times and driven by the need for reassurance, comfort, safety, validation, and financial support. Sherry is one of the world's leading experts on this subject, author of the best-selling book, Love Smacked. You've seen her featured on VH1's Celebrity Rehab, CNN, Inside Edition, Access Live, E! News, and in Cosmopolitan, Woman's World, and the Los Angeles Times, Thrive Global, wow, (laughs) the New York Post, Marriage.com and Psychology Today. She's a licensed psychotherapist, life coach, and founder of Wake Up Recovery. Sherry marries her vast knowledge of the addiction recovery process with her expertise in relationship coaching and counseling. Good morning, Sherry. Welcome. I got to take you off of, wait a minute, hold on. I love your show, and I love that, um, I love what you're doing in the world. Thank you. Well, I love what you're doing in the world, too, which is why, you know, I really wanted to have you here. I'm so excited to have you. (coughs) Aw. Sorry. I know that you had your own issues with this, so I just wanted to touch briefly on the fact, on the, um, that topic a little bit, just to see what your struggles were. So we know that trauma has a, is a big part of people that are in love addiction relationships or toxic relationships. We know that if you don't get what you need as a child, whether it's neglect or abandonment or, in my case, I was a preemie and I didn't get the bonding the first few months of my life. And I always tell people that story because there are people out there that might go, wow, that's my story. But if you don't get what you need, the nurturing and the love and the bonding and the connection, you're going to be uh, set up most likely for needing outside validation to make you feel good on the inside because you didn't get what you needed from the people that were supposed to give it to you. And sometimes it's not their fault. In my case, I was just premature, but let's say you came from an alcoholic home or a dysfunctional home or a home where you were neglected, you're you're not going to get your needs met, so you're always going to look for those things in your adult relationships. And because of that, you usually settle for less. You uh, don't feel whole without a person. And, you know, I can get into what love addiction is um, in a second, but right. that, that is why mm-hmm. you're prone and vulnerable to 
toxic relationships. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, our childhood has everything to do with our adulthood. Every, uh, used to, every. Yeah, I mean, people used to say, you know, you grow up and get over it. You do not. You grow up and, you, and your adulthood reflects the issues of your childhood. So uh, absolutely, absolutely true. So what is love addiction? So love addiction is a process addiction. So when you think of addiction or alcoholism, you think of substances. But actually, love addiction is, is what we'd call process or a lifestyle or a soft addiction. Some other soft addictions might be being addicted to exercise or the Internet or gaming or shopping or spending or food. Those are all process addictions. But with love addiction, it has the same euphoric states that any mood-altering substance has. So you're sort of always seeking that first high. You're always, you know, searching for that first, you know, hot romance that you were in, whether you were young when it had it, had it or your first crush, or maybe it could be a little later on. But you can never really recapture that because it's a fantasy. It's an illusion. Um, when you're a love addict, if a breakup occurs, you go into complete withdrawal like any substance abuser would go into. You're longing for that attachment and those pleasurable feelings of that lost relationship, just like a drug user craves, craves their drugs. So you end up doing a lot of things that you wouldn't ordinarily do if you didn't have this issue. You overadapt to what they want. You don't have boundaries. You have a fear of letting go. You have a fear of the unknown. They're always trying to change people to meet what you want them to be because you want them to be that fantasy. You need others to feel whole. You look for others for affirmation and worth. In my case, fearing abandonment. Withdrawal symptoms, like I talked about earlier. You give up who you are in fear of losing someone because the idea of being on your own is just such a debilitating thought. And so many, excuse me, so many people confuse um, the feeling of love with attachment. So when they get out of these relationships after they've been with a partner who has been so emotionally abusive, and they know that, you know, on a cognitive level, they say, but I love him or I love her. But really, right. is it right. love or is it attachment that, we're, that, that they're talking about? Yeah, well, yeah, it's a love addiction. It's a withdrawal. Um, it certainly isn't what healthy love looks like. I mean, you know you're in a toxic relationship. Um, it's usually characterized by a constant worry about the partner, about, you know, you're always obsessing over them. Um, uh, when you, you know, you give up all everything to be with that person, they become the single most important thing in your life. Um, and this is definitely a sign of a toxic relationship. And then you notice all these subtle signs, like if they don't text you or they, you know, you're always ruminating, like, well, what are they thinking? You're, you're constantly obsessing over them. Um, you basically twist yourself into a pretzel to basically be with them. You walk on eggshells. So, th- so this is all what a toxic relationship looks like. But I know part of our topic is love addiction. But Love addiction and toxic relationships often go together because the love addict will be with anyone. They'll settle for anybody. So they often are prey to a narcissist or a toxic person. So you know you're, you know, you're with a toxic person if you're walking on eggshells. You're, you're trying to anticipate what they might think or say to trigger a fight. You feel guilty about everything because narcissists, toxic people often have to be right. They're always right. They always blame you. Um, you know, look at the, the, the distribution of responsibility and guilt in your daily interactions, and you'll know if you're always feeling guilty, you're probably in with a toxic person. A lot of fighting, constantly fighting, it's very difficult because nothing seems to please them. Um, when they feel content, it seems, it seems to stop. However, this is completely a rare thing when they're content. It's usually they're being, uh, they're 
they're devaluing you in most cases, very manipulating, very controlling, devaluing you, criticizing you, uh, dominating all your actions. Um, you know, they're always, what, you know, they, they'll tell you how to dress, how to do your hair, what to do for a living, who to spend time with. A lot of yelling, a lot of insulting, a lot of lashing out at each other. Um, you know, when words are used to inflict pain or hurt or shame or embarrassment or de- degradation, degradation, you know, we're definitely talking about a toxic relationship. And in some cases, there can be physical injuries, a lot of disrespect, you know, respect who you are, how you feel, a lot of dishonesty, betrayal, cheating. And then, first of all, you end up lacking your own self-care because everything is becomes about this outside-focused thing. Remember, we talked about, you know, growing up and being abused or neglected, or in my case, I was abandoned in an incubator. I was always looking outside myself. And so if you're always looking outside yourself, then you neglect neglect yourself on the inside. And so you neglect all your self-care, your self-confidence drops. Um, These are all things that really, you know, constitute a toxic relationship. And another thing that I notice about these kind of relationships is there's no growth in the relationship. You know, in a healthy relationship, you feel the relationship growing. It's both people sort of working towards common goals. Um, When you're in a toxic relationship like that, you could be in it for 10 years and you never get sort of past the first (laughs) couple of months that you're together. You're still going over the same things, right, over and over. Right, right. There's no resolve when you're with someone who is toxic or a narcissist. And I'm not only to throw around the word narcissist. I mean, you can have narcissistic traits. We could also be talking about full-blown NPD, but yeah, there's there's no resolve because they're always right. So there's you can't resolve an issue if someone is always right. So true. Um, so we talk a lot about love bombing um, in terms of NPD relationships, but how do you describe love bombing? So love bombing is that thing that happens in the very beginning where they just cannot do enough for you. They're fully invested in you. It's like way over the top. They're, they're giving you lavish gifts. They're buying you plane tickets, expensive uh, you know, flowers. Um, they're telling you that they love everything about you. They've never met anyone as perfect as you. You're the only person I want to spend time with, time with. They bombard you with phone calls and texts. They want your total undivided attention. They want, they just, and you know, true love doesn't require someone to be, you know, true love does not want all your time and energy focused on them alone. But in a narcissistic, toxic relationship, all of it needs to be focused on them. And then they try to convince you that you're soulmates. And these are, this just isn't normal, healthy dating. Healthy dating is slow and steady. You get to know somebody. You might have that infatuation or attraction. But then it becomes, you know, uh, more balanced. But, but with these people, they, you know, they're going to tell you things like, you're born to be together. It's fate that we met. You understand me more than anyone. We are soulmates. And then a love bomber will pressure you into a commitment really fast because they want to suck you in. Um, and the biggest thing that you want to look for, and this is a telltale sign that you're with a narcissist or someone with traits, is that they are, get really upset when you try to place boundaries, when you try to tell them to slow down. They'll continue to try to manipulate you to get what they want. You know, someone who legitimately cares will respect your wishes and back off. But love bombers also, you know, they just get upset with boundaries. They just, they want what they want, and they're not going to take anything but that. It's like a tsunami of affection, and they expect you to accept it all. 
It's so true. You know, I, it, <clears throat> this is one of the things that I, I sometimes tell people, you know, they're like, how do, how do I know I'm with someone? I'm like, tell them you want to take it slow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's good they advice. Don't, uh-huh. Right. They're going to get very upset with you. And if you continue yeah. to press it, um, you're going to really see the truth of who that person is. Exactly. What is, exactly. What is it that's so addicting to um to why are we so addicted to these toxic relationships? What do we get out of this? Well, it's more about why do they become addicted. And so, as I was saying earlier, a history of toxic relationships with our parents are going to lead us to attract men and women with whom we, we can recreate that familiar toxic cycle. So we're kind of looking to undo what was done to us. So our destiny is often dictated by a subconscious desire to somehow resolve those unresolved issues, which, of course, no one can ever, you know, and you can't undo what what has already been done. A person cannot do that. So as I was saying earlier, if a parent wasn't there for us or a father fails to protect their child from abuse from the mother and is emotionally distant, the tendency is going to be to attract men or women in your adult lives that offer a similar experience. And then the cycle commences when we're brought to feel those familiar, painful feelings, and then we try to alleviate them by getting into another relationship, which is love addiction unaware that it is not going to be so different from the last one. You know, another scenario might be when a son has an overbearing mother who doesn't give him the space or independence to grow autonomously. So he'll repeat the same cycle in his adult life by attracting controlling and needy women. But of course, occasionally he might rebel in adult life and instead attract the opposite of what he experienced, although he doesn't recreate the familiar feelings. So now he has to go back to the opposite side of the pendulum and, and get those issues resolved so then he picks someone, again, that's controlling or needy. So mm-hmm. the, the truth is it all stems from how we were raised and the relational experiences we had as children. It begins if we weren't properly able to develop self-esteem or get a positive self-image or have self-love. So the point then is in our, our addiction to external toxic relationships, but our addiction is something that runs much deeper and it's far more dangerous. And it's an addiction to a toxic relationship with ourselves because it all starts with ourselves. That's why if you are in this position and you have a history of trauma, you want to work with a trauma therapist that will help you work on that early trauma so that you can start changing the patterns in your life. Until you get that trauma out of your body and you work with a trauma therapist, you're going to keep repeating the same cycle because the energy is still there in your body. And that's really what trauma therapy is, is getting the energy out from early trauma. Um, so that, you know, we just, that, that's, that's, that is the story right there. You know, we're going to repeat what we know. Um, that's just how, how it is. We want to fix what we didn't get. Does relationship um, modeling have anything to do with it? So the way that our parents related to each other, does that have anything to do with how we choose our partners? I, I think so. I think you definitely can end up modeling what your parents had. I feel a lot where you'll have, let's say, an alcoholic father or a narcissistic fa- father. I'm, I'm thinking alcoholic in this case, but and the the woman is very codependent. So she she does whatever you know. She enables her husband. She, you know, he runs the show, and she's sort of um, you know subservient. There's a really good chance that that's how you're going to relate to your adult relationship. You're going to repeat the same thing. Absolutely. I also want to throw out that you don't have to come from trauma to end up with a toxic person. I, I, it's very important that people understand mostly it comes from a traumatic background, but you can be a really compassionate, loving, sweet, kind, wonderful person, and all of a sudden, you know, you end up meeting a narcissist, and you, you can't really believe that people can be that cruel or, or that evil or that, you know, 
you can't believe it because it's just not in your nature. You're, you're maybe more like an empath, you know, somebody just has a really big heart. So I just want people to know that you could have had a perfectly healthy childhood and still end up in a toxic relationship. And another um, thing that I see happen is that if you're coming out of, so, so like, for instance, um, if you have had a marriage to somebody for like 30 years, 40 years, and then your spouse dies and you're still kind of at that point where you want to be with somebody, I think you go back into the dating situation very vulnerable. Uh, and that's oh, sort that's of, they sort of smell you right out, right? Well, I can just use my mother as an example. My mother lost, my father passed away. They were married almost 60 years, and she had the beginnings of dementia. And I share this story because it can happen to anybody at any age. It can happen to a young woman. You know, if any of you have seen the show Dirty John, but in my case, my mother was mm-hmm. older. She met a predator. He followed her. Um, I think he, I think he was scoping her out even before my dad died. And they met at a bar. My mother was drinking heavily. She had dementia, and he followed her home, and she, and he never left. And he was with her for three and a half years. He was abusive financially, sexually, um, and in every way possible. And we had to get a lawyer. Um, it was just a really, really sad time because not only did I lose my dad, I also lost, I also lost my mother to the dementia. But eventually, we were able to, um, you know, get an attorney and get a, a, a restraining order on him. But it took, you know, three and a half years and a year and a half in court. So it was a really awful, awful, awful experience an awful story but it can happen it can happen and how was your mother when you stepped in you know yeah Mm -hmm. when you stepped in how how did your mom take it Mm -hmm. when i stepped in well my mother was she was going to do whatever this man wanted no matter what this she he was brainwashing her he he was you know she she had lost a sense of self it was almost like she was the, the 17 year old when she met my dad it was as if she had yeah she forgot about my dad in a, in, in a way, and I think the dementia was part of it, but he walked into my dad's role in her mind. He became my father in her mind. Um, and again, I, you know, the part, part of it was dementia, part of it was narcissistic abuse, um, and, it was, and part of it was her drinking, and then it, it, was, it was a nightmare, um, and she really wanted to do whatever he said. So we really had no say. We lost her, really, in this relationship. And then by the time we got her back and he was gone, her dementia had gotten really, really worse. So it's a very sad story, but it happens to people, and I share this story because I don't want it to happen to anybody else. And just remember, if you do see something like this happening with a parent, you want to get legal help right away. So did you have to um, get power attorney over her? Over her, I had all I had all that I had all that, but that doesn't mean anything. You have, you know, you have to get a conservatorship, and that's a whole whole ordeal. So what oh. happened is we just we were able to get a restraining order that got him to move out. So once he moved out, she was apart from him. She 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 was upset. She she was suicidal, and then before you know it, she forgot about him because she had oh, well. dementia. So after a few months, it was like, it was a, so all that pain that we endured. It was like he never existed. And it was That's pretty amazing. Such a gift in the same, in the sense. I mean, it's not really, but but in this case, it it truly yes. is. Yes, yeah, yes, it kind of mm. was for her sake. For and sure. did he go because away easily? Talking about my dad. Uh, no. no, we had to go to court. He, but he I'm saying, us, like after that, did order. he? Yeah, after that, did he start he died. to harass? After that, he, he died. died. He died. Oh. He died on the streets of lung cancer. 
Okay. Yeah. Horrible, well, horrible death. Okay. He couldn't go close to my mother because there was a restraining order. And then once we got the restraining order, he just, yeah, he disappeared. And then, and then he died. Okay. Yeah. Quite a story. Well, Karma's a bitch. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but you know what's really sad about these cases, and I do want to have some compassion for the narcissist, is that they're mentally ill. And I want people to know that when you're dealing with one, you're dealing with someone whose brain is different than our brain. It's wired differently. They can't see their error of their ways. They don't have that capacity. So even though he was this terrible person, it didn't matter what you said or did, he couldn't see it. He could. He couldn't it's very difficult for them to get help. Now, I have talked to therapists. There are people that actually specialize in this kind of thing where they can actually work with a narcissist. I have my doubts, but apparently there are people that specialize in working with narcissists. Personally, I I, I don't think anyone should put themselves through that. I just think try to stay away from someone who has a narcissistic personality. Right. Well, knowing what I know about narcissistic personality disorder and the nature of it, how it forms and what is actually running the show, um, I find it almost nearly impossible for them to get help because um, right. you know, the false self does not allow them to see that anything's right. wrong with them. So if you can't see that anything's wrong with you, you can't get help. So You, you know, can't get help. Me, you can't yeah. get help. But they right. can fake it. And that's what, you know, when we get into talking about cognitive dissonance or we talk about gaslighting or we talk about love bombing, they can... They can pretend that they're, oh, I'll get help, and then they start acting very nice. It's like the honeymoon phase, and then they start, oh, I have this one client. Oh, my God, you know, I, I know when he's being nice, and I know when he's not being nice, and when he's being nice, she's just thrown back into that cycle. And that's why they, you know, that's why women stay. And then they also get addicted to the peptides of the inconsistency of the relationship. You, you know, you're, you're in this drama, trauma vortex, and it becomes very addictive. So it's very right. hard, you know, it's just like, just like with an alcoholic when they say, oh, I'll get sober, I promise. You know, I was married to an alcoholic and then they're sober for a while and you think it's going to be forever. And then before you know it, they're drinking. So, mm-hmm. um, but the, you know, but because of the way love addicts are, they keep believing the dream. They believe the delusion. They believe the romance, <clears throat> the romance. They want to feel good. They don't want to be alone. They want someone to complete them. So they're, they're very easy prey and vulnerable to these kind of individuals. Right. And what you were talking about, you know, when they become good and they can fake it, that's intermittent reinforcement. And it is, it can right. be very confusing, very confusing. Yes. Um, yes. So um, what do you think, um, <clears throat> do you think the media overly does this, over, overly portrays these kind of relationships? I mean, I know if you watch Lifetime, um, you're going to see this a lot. Yeah, good point. Well, I think of my own granddaughter who's going to be six, and I'm thinking about all the princesses. I just took her even to a Disney princess play musical, and it was all about the prince and the princess. And I'm like, I cannot believe it's 2022, and everyone is still talking about the prince is going to, you know, with the white horse. So that's where it starts. Um, you know, often music and film is very shows obsessive relationships. I'm going to age myself, but if you think of um, the show uh, Fatal Attraction, that was Obsessive Love. Um, Mm -hmm. You think of the movie um, Obsessed with uh, Beyonce, that was an obsessive love. So, yeah, there's still um, this idea that that's normal, and it's just not. And it's normal until it becomes, in some cases in these movies, dangerous. 
Um, so yeah, I think it still exists. I, I, th- I still think there's the whole fairy tale idea of, um, you know, living happily ever after. And I'm not saying you can't find the right person to anyone here on this that is listening. You know, you can find the right person, but you've got to take your time and be discerning and get to know someone. When it's fast and furious, it's usually one of these types of relationships. I agree. I agree. It's, yeah, it shouldn't start off with such a, you know, such a strong, um, <clears throat> like craving yeah. for each other. It's, uh, yeah. that's just not good. But, but yes, I mean, people think, wow, you know, that's how I'm supposed to feel. And they get addicted to that feeling of that high. And, and that's a hard thing to break. And I know I had that and I had to break well, it. And <clears throat> yeah, well, I was going to say, um, if we get into what the signs are of being obsessed, this is how you'll know. You fall in love instantly. You think about them constantly. You immediately fantasize about a future together. You overwhelm your partners with attention. And then you feel it's your responsibility to fix your partner to make them perfect to meet your illusion of who you want them to be. You're not really being authentic because you're trying to change them. Um, and you're trying to change them and even yourself into a pretzel to, to, to make it be what you want it to be. You're real hypervigilant and you overreact to the slightest signs that your partner's no longer interested. You feel empty and you feel lost or unworthy if you're not in the relationship. And we get addicted to the drama of these kind of things. So, so like for me, right. um, my parents had a very dramatic relationship. <clears throat> and so yeah. I thought that that was an indication of how much love people had for each other. Because after they had these right. dramatic blowouts, They'd hold hands and say, "There's no one better for you know. There's no one better in this world than your mother or your father." And right. So how confusing is that? So I thought very confusing. More, I, I grew up the same. Right. Same way. They the were, more they, explosive, they, they, they fought a lot. Yeah. Right. The more explosive it is, the more dramatic, the more it shows love, and that was so confusing, and it was hard to get over that very confusing drama addiction. Um, yeah. So what are the downsides to um, being obsessed with someone? And I think you talked Just about it. You say in abusive, painful, incompatible, and unfilling relationships because they either fear abandoning their spouse or they lack the autonomy to leave. They just, they just have no agency of themselves. Um, and if they do leave, then they end up repeating the cycle again and again because they believe they should be in a relationship and can't imagine the emptiness they'll feel if they're not in a relationship they can also become easy prey, like I said earlier, for manipulative, selfish people who they, they are predators. So they recognize their extreme need and then they take advantage of it. So obsession just leads you to lie to yourself and others. You deny your true self. You know, um, you do everything that they want to do. Um, you make excuses for their shortcomings. Um, you'll say things like, oh, you know, he's just, you know, had a hard day or blah, 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 blah. Or, you know, maybe I deserved it or, you know, it's it's just... It's pathological, really, and and eventually, when we talk about the downside, you can become severely abused. You can be in a physically abusive relationship. It can get to that point. Yes, we can. Yes, that's the worst part of it. Um, so you know, I've had people say, "Oh, if I leave him, if I leave her, I'm gonna feel, I'm gonna die. I don't think I can live." without this person or people will say, I feel like I'm losing a limb. Um, So this getting over this addiction is very, very difficult. Uh, How do we do that? That's like withdrawal. withdrawal? Mm -hmm. Right. 
it's agonizing. You, it's excruciatingly painful. You feel empty. You're obsessive. You're in panic. There's a sense of not knowing who you are. You're like in the ethers of nothingness, the feeling you'll never find love again. But on the positive side, it can be a time to really become whole again. Withdrawing can be a time to like meet your true self, your authentic, precious self you've been avoiding. It's a great time for self-love and healing and healthier relationships and finding a really great uh, group, like a support group. I have a support group. I'll, I'll talk about that towards the end of the interview. Um, finding material, books, you know, information, and getting a really great trauma therapist. That, that's really what it can lead to if you are willing to do the work. What is, what is the trauma therapist, just so people know what they're looking for? So I, I do somatic work, which is um, where you uh, release toxic energy in someone's body. It's not like a, it's not touch therapy. It's just you're actually working with the nervous system to help regulate the nervous system to release toxic energy from the past, to release trauma from the past. Um, there's also EMDR. That's eye movement desensitization therapy. I don't do that. I also do tapping. Tapping is another modality. Um, and then I use polyvagal theory, which is all about, again, regulating the nervous system so that you can endure those moments of emptiness, so you can endure those moments of panic. That's really, really at the key to trauma therapy. There are all kinds of self-soothing techniques people can use so that they don't feel like they're going crazy. And I, I, I always, my biggest pet peeve when people like go through these types of things, they have trauma, they can't, they can't really... Uh, they're having a really hard time healing, and then they go find some therapist that knows nothing about trauma, or they work with a coach. And I'm not saying there aren't great coaches and therapists, like, yeah, I'm a therapist, but I think you really need a specific trauma therapist if there's a history mm-hmm. of trauma. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, so it's the, really so more... It's, it's, overcome. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, so it's no, really, it's not so much as, um, not so much talk therapy as it is... Um, tactics for releasing this from the body, for dealing with the, exactly. the pain, the agony, those kind of things. Okay. And finding ways to self-regulate yourself again. Mm-hmm. You're not so much in your sympathetic nervous system where you're like high alert. You know, trauma is basically a fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response. Fawn is a people-pleasing response. You know what fighting is. You know what flight is. You know what freezes. So when you work with a trauma therapist, they help you work with your sympathetic nervous system to get out of that, you know, fight, flight. Or freeze is more of a dorsal vagal, which is another aspect of your nervous system. And all this is very technical, and I don't have to go into all that, but you're basically regulating your nervous system. Mm, Okay. And that is so necessary. Yeah. So, um, so overcoming our addiction to a toxic relationship, does that really rely on working with the proper professional? I believe it does. I also believe looking for a great support group so you're not doing this alone. Um, we must, you have to start looking at every relationship that enters your life as an opportunity to heal and grow and become self-aware, not to feel shameful, not to feel blameful. So our focus has to shift from the outside in. Every relationship is manifested, you know, into our lives to mirror truly the relationship we have with ourselves. So if we're attracting toxic relationships or continue nurturing our addiction to them, it's going to be because first and foremost, we have a toxic relationship with ourselves. So we have to really, you know, investigate the roots of this internal toxic self, those dark sides, the shadow sides without shame, without blame, with great compassion, with great forgiveness. Um, 
you know, being aware that healing an addictive, toxic relationship with ourselves doesn't happen overnight. It is a process. And really accepting and welcoming the process, knowing it's a work in progress of continually uncovering and resolving toxic childhood experiences and conditioning and trauma, and then building a connection with your healthy self, you know, your spiritual self, your emotional self, um, your cognitive self, all of these things together, mind, body, soul, you know, finding the light within you and loving it madly and, you know, just doing, um, I do also some stuff with the law of attraction where, you know, we start manifesting what it is we really do want in our life. But first and foremost, we have to release the past, the past trauma. And then, you know, moving towards our, our highest self, our healthiest self, because all of us are valuable, colorful, vibrant, and strong people. We all have that capacity. I agree. I absolutely agree. You know, when, when people come to me, because my specialty is in narcissistic abuse, when they come to me, in most cases, they've been shamed and blamed by um, a talk therapist, a cognitive yeah. therapist, and um, <clears throat> it makes them worse. But, but yeah. I wish people would understand. That's why this is so important. I wish people would understand that not all therapists are equipped. And That's you have to right. be very careful who you go to um, because, yeah, I mean, I know one of the first things that I do is validate and it lifts right. like 10 pounds off their shoulders right away because exactly. I can relate exactly. to it. You know what I'm saying? So the validation is very important. Very important. I mean, that's my mission and, and that's why I do the work I do. And that's why I offer my program for such a reasonable price. I, I that's why I wrote my book. I mean, I want, I want people to get it. I know. I agree with you, and that's wonderful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So how does this create trauma in us? What is exactly going on when we're with this toxic person or when we're in a codependent relationship? Well, I'm thinking of the relationship between codependence and um, uh, narcissists or toxic is sort of a they're sort of a magnet for each other. You know, um, it's, it's, it's just very interesting because the narcissist wants all the attention and the, the codependent needs the validation. So they just kind of sort of find each other. It's like a dance. It's like they're like a magnet for each other. I guess what it is is codependents have such low self-esteem or love addicts have such low self-esteem that they'll settle and the narcissist can, can see that. And they know that they'll get the attention they need from the codependent because the codependent love addict only gets their self-esteem by the atten- by being needed. So they're they're the perfect they're the perfect partner, the perfect partner. What is relationship codependency? So a love addict is really romance, love, relationship addiction. But you can be a codependent and be a love addict. But a codependent can also be someone that isn't a, a codependent on relationships. You could be codependent on on uh, anything. It's a, it's a need to control. So I always say, you know, codependents get fixed on people, places, and things, but not they don't. Ha- it doesn't have to be a romantic people, you know, person. But love addicts, it's always a person. It's always okay. Okay, that's okay. Thank you for that distinction. <clears throat> so it really is about control. Yeah. Codependency. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> um, we hear a lot about trauma bonding. What exactly is that? 
So it's interesting how trauma survivors, like there's different types. So you can be in a relationship, like I was a trauma bonded to my alcoholic husband. We both had abandonment issues and we sort of found each other. That's one type of trauma bond. There can be a trauma bond where you have really horrible parents, dysfunctional family, and then all the siblings become trauma bonded. But the worst kind is when the codependent love addict or narcissist get together. That is that is the worst kind of uh, trauma bond. Um, you know, it's when you don't trust another person's reality, your own reality. You end up thinking you're responsible for the other person's experience. You end up having a delusion of you think the other person is rather than who they truly are. Um, trauma survivors have no balance because they're all, they're all or nothing. They're either super needy or shut down. So they crave dramatic relationships. Um, when they feel needed, they feel worthy. And if they're un- a healthy craving for attention isn't being met. They become even needier. So that's kind of how that bond is formed. Like they both kind of need each other, um, mm. you know. And then when you, when the love, when the narcissist becomes love avoidant, then the love addict even becomes needier. And there's just this bond that's formed. Trauma bonding is made up of the, of the of the needy partner, the pursuer, and the avoidant partner, the narcissist, who avoids connection at all costs. So they both lack trust of their inner realities and the realities of the other. But what's interesting about the trauma bond is they're both coming from the same place. It's just being manifested differently. They both have abandonment issues, but one um, becomes the user, you know, and the other one, you know, is the giver. Or one is the pursuit, you know, like I said earlier, one is the pursuer and, and, and one is the taker. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that is so, that really cements people together. It's very difficult to break that trauma bond. Um, yeah. And you well, know, you going back about, to what we were talking mm-hmm. about, you get addicted to the peptides of the drama, of the trauma. The mm-hmm. trauma becomes addictive. And that's why it's so hard to let go. And then if they're really nice and they start love bombing you or hoovering you or coming back in, then you're sucked in again. It's, it's, I just want people to know this is a real thing and it's a real cycle. And that's why it's so hard to get out. But it is not impossible. It is a cycle that is very, very com- more common than we would imagine. I yes. think it's, you know, I think healthy relationships are the um, the more of a rarity than, you know, than the norm. It's um, yeah. because there's, there's, a, there's a skill to having a healthy relationship. There's a skill to finding the right partner. Um, it's not exactly, just, <clears throat> it's not just about getting heady and, um, you know, falling and, you know, losing yourself in someone. There's really skills to this, don't you think? There's skills. And it's the skills start with yourself, you know, building your self-esteem and feeling satisfied as a whole person, knowing how to set boundaries, knowing what your preferences are. You know, when you come from issues, early trauma, you don't even know who you are. You don't even know what you want. So really finding out what it is you want, who are you, learning to be okay alone. Like after my last divorce, I had to be alone for a while. I had to find myself. So I joined a support group, which was amazing. I took up canoeing, which was amazing. And some of the best decisions of my life were when I ended up going solo and doing the work, finding a great trauma therapist. All of this is possible. Yes, I agree. It is. It absolutely is possible. There is is normalcy and, and um, you know, feeling great on the other side of all of this. It can be done. It just Absolutely. doesn't. You and I are yeah. examples of that. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I mean, I remember when I wanted to make these changes because I had a child, a baby, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to put her, I'm not going to have her go through this. And the thought of dating somebody normal was so sickening to me. I remember that feeling. It was like, oh God, I'm never going to be, it's never going to be fun. It's never going to be attractive. They're, they're going to be like this, you know, guy with a shirt and a pen in his pocket and a briefcase. And that's what normal, <laughs> that's what I thought normal was. And I'm like, oh, oh, I don't want that's that. That's really funny. You know? That's yeah, funny. Like we thought was, we wanted the bad boy. We wanted the bad yeah. boy. That's 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 exactly right. Exactly. Um, you know, and yeah, you know, and so and I didn't realize that normal guys could be fun. <laughs> they absolutely could be fun. I mean, we were addicted. We were activated. We were addicted to the activation. Our bodies wanted that, you know, adrenaline rush. Um, but when you when you have enough pain in your life and you've been through it enough, you finally realize, no, no, I just want steady Eddie. <laughs> you know, I just want calm. <laughs> I don't, I don't, right. I don't need the fireworks. I don't need. That. I mean, sure, there has to be some attraction, but it's always, you know, some people really don't think they can be with anybody unless there's that crazy, crazy love in the beginning, yeah. and it's just not true. Right. I say boring is just fine with me. <laughs> you exactly. know, I don't. I, don't I, need I had the a fireworks. cousin that said that to me. When I was 22, she said, Sherry, you know, the right relationship, you'll be bored. And I go, what is she talking about? What is she talking about? Um, it's funny. Um, so can we create boundaries with, with narcissists? I mean, I, I know that we can. I don't think they can, they can hold up for very long, but how do we do this? Or is it possible? Yeah, I, I'll go through what your part can be in this. I don't know if it's possible in everybody's case um generally you know they're going to cross your ba- their, your your boundary but you but you can, there are there are tools that you can use you don't have to justify or explain or defend yourself you know narcissists they use scrutiny or intimidation <clears throat> to make others second guess themselves so that gives them a sense of power and control so part of boundary setting is the right to decide what you share with others and honestly when it comes to a narcissist the less you share particularly personal information, because they'll just use it against you. Um, They will absolutely use it against you. Um, You don't need to justify your thoughts, your feelings, your actions um, to an intrusive narcissist. If a narcissist criticizes you, you can say something like, I hear your opinion, I will consider that. Best thing is not to engage at all, but you can, or you could say, if they engage your actions, say, I'm confident in my choice. If they demand an explanation, you can say that's very personal. We'll have to just agree to disagree. But of course, this can escalate the narcissist. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, that always mm-hmm. can happen. Um, so you want to leave when it feels unhealthy. You don't need anyone's permission to exit a destructive interaction. You know, if you're on a date with someone who you think is dangerous, you look at your watch and say, "Oh, I'm late. I gotta go." Um, you know, your cell phone can be a helpful prop. You can have somebody call you, make sure you're okay, and then you can say, oh, I have to take this call, and then you leave. You, um, you know, you can say, I'm going to excuse myself. We can talk another time. Um, this is not healthy. I will not participate in this kind of dialogue. That's something you can say if you're living with, with one. You know, you have to decide what you'll tolerate, what you won't. But the key component of setting healthy boundaries is knowing when to say no and doing so and asking yourself, what are you willing to accept from others and what are you not? You know, I have a client I've been working with for a long time and she gets sucked into that revolving door of the the niceness and then the abuse comes and then she's all confused again. And I said, if you could just accept that is the whole of him. He's nice and he's abusive. If you can accept all of that, then stay with him. 
if you can't accept all of that, then you leave because it's never going to be different. It's it's just never going to be different. That's, so I like I like yeah. the way you put that. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Yeah. Narcissists get us to talk quite a bit. They ask questions. That's one of their ways of winning conversations is they ask questions. And it is, it's a dead end. It's a spiraling down that you can never get out of because they intend to win that conversation. And the more you defend yourself, the deeper you get into that hole. Um, right. And they well, like they're that. Artfully, they're an artist. They can sidestep uh, anything. Um, mm-hmm. They're like skilled. They're like uh, skilled politicians or uh, yeah. doctors. Uh, um, they just will ask a different question or a question they wish they have been. You know, they'll just spin it around. Um, narcissists ask. But you're right. They ask very intrusive questions, and then they can shift topics. Um, you know, they're going to have a, a record of criticizing, spending, diff- really bad career choices, personal relationships that didn't go well. Um, you know, these are just all the kinds of challenges that build character, and they just don't have character. Um, and they'll definitely shift the topic. They love to talk about themselves. Um, you know, ask their views on the secret to a good relationship or how they made a difficult career or financial choice. And while their answers may be full of platitudes, they can, you know, they can fake it. At least they'll focus on their favorite topic themselves instead of you. They, uh, they may even pick up some ideas. But, you know, it can just be very validating, and they can um, – they can just shift the conversation. So take the bully by the, hor- the horn. Narcissists hunger for attention and approval. Um, they just have a deep, deep need for, um, you know, to fill their emptiness and to fill their unworthiness. So, um, you know, just endlessly test to see what they, you know, they're going to endlessly test to see what they can get away with. So one way to meet this is to call out what they're doing. Say, are you trying to put me down or make me feel bad? I noticed that when I began to talk, you inter- interrupt me. You know, say such things in a matter-of-fact way. doesn't matter how they respond. Be content in knowing that you have named what is happening and leave it at that. Naming what is happening is very powerful. Don't underestimate the power of a narcissist. Remember that narcissists have spent a lifetime learning how to devalue and take advantage of others. That's how they navigated life. Narcissism is a powerful psychological phenomenon based on distorted views of self, others, and the world. And, you know, that is just how they got through life. That's just how it is. That's how they navigated. They came from their own toxic uh, childhoods. Absolutely. And predators are, are really walk among us in droves. It's um, it's just crazy how many of them are out there. People really yeah. have to be careful when they're dating, um, especially if yeah. you're on um, dating sites because predators just, you know, they right. troll those sites. Um, and it's and a lot of who you're going to meet is going to be those kind of people. One hundred percent. So what are some of the first? What are some of the first? Okay, I was just going to ask. Go ahead. What are some of the first um, steps to breaking free from one of those these kind of situations? Well, I'm I'm just going to say just by being on this call, they're taking a step. There's an awareness. I think getting a great is someone to work early trauma stuff out so you don't keep repeating the cycle finding a great support group like the one that i have or maybe finding a love addiction uh, support group those can be very helpful too um you know start with connecting to yourself start with you know without that connection with ourselves, we're not going to know ourselves and we can't possibly have a truly intimate relationship until we can have a true connection with ourselves and that's one of that's the most important step you can take 
And, you know, if somebody is listening and they want to walk out or break free, they know they're in a really bad relationship and they want to break free. So the first thing to do really is to find themselves a support system. Uh, a professional. Right. Don't, you can't do it alone. Just like an alcoholic can't get sober alone, you need support. You need a great mm-hmm. support group. You can start reading information. There's all kinds of information out there, but that's only the first step. <clears throat> you know, they can pick up a book on narcissistic abuse. They can read my book, Love Smacked. They can um, find it. You know, then you want to go deeper if you're willing to do the work. Some people aren't. Some people that's don't want to do the work. They just want to find another relationship, and that's okay too. It's, then they'll just end up in the same situation, only they'll or be years they, or older. They, right, or they want to just lose themselves and just stay in these relationships. Um, my parents have been married for over 75 years, and they're both very old, and my father has just stayed and stayed among, you know, abuse every single day of the marriage. Yeah. But he thinks, oh. she walks on, he thinks she walks on water. It's not all. She's, yeah. she's brittle. <laughs> yeah. She's brittle. Yeah. But, um, you don't have to live like that. <laughs> no, you really don't. You really don't. Um, so tell us about your support group. It's called Wake Up Recovery, and it's everything that someone could possibly want when it comes to healing codependency and love addiction and narcissistic abuse. I do a live coaching call once a month, so they have access to me. There is lessons in there, video lessons, audio lessons. I have expert interviews in there uh, with specialists like Melody Beatty. I even spoke to Russell Brand, John Gray, um, Jack Canfield, just all kinds of great interviews, lessons, meditations. Right now, for your listeners, it's a dollar to join, and they can try it out for a week, and then it goes to $27. Um, I also want to offer, um, and then, oh, let me give you the link to join. So if they want to join, it's wakeuprecovery.com forward slash IG1. That's wakeuprecovery.com forward slash IG1. And it's really taking all the principles of trauma therapy, positive psychology, law of attraction, mindfulness, and kind of putting it into a wonderful group program. I am a licensed therapist, so they are working with someone who's licensed in this. And then I'm offering a free um, ebook called Narcissistic Partners and Obsessive Love, and they can find that at sherrygaba.com forward slash npquiz. There's a quiz that goes with it. Again, that's sherry, S-H-E-R-R-Y, G-A-B-A.com forward slash npquiz quiz okay perfect i will put that up on your page excellent so excellent. that everybody can you know can have those links that's really Fantastic. great yeah well, thank you, you for doing, having me you're welcome it's oh thank you for being my guest this is so important and people's ears are perking up i mean you are really oh, really good. resonating with my listeners i'm sure so oh, this has been great. this is a wonderful I'm so glad information to hear that yeah, I'm so sure glad that you to hear are. that. And if they want it, if they're looking for a therapist, I'm at sherrygaba.com and they can find all my information. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Sherry. It's been a pleasure. You're so welcome. Bye, Randy. Bye. Take care. <clears throat> so we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. 
Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.